Hello, I'm Barrister Daniel Barnett and welcome to episode 74 of Employment Law Matters. In this episode, you'll learn why city law firm Vardags are on the cusp of having an unlawfully discriminatory dress code, what the law says about dress codes and five top tips for introducing a dress code. I spoke about dress codes back in episode 21 exactly a year ago to the week and it's time to revisit the subject. Before we start, a quick word about the HR in a Circle, the membership club I run for smart, ambitious HR professionals. Here's what member Jan Golding, the chief executive officer of Roots HR, had to say. The value is so much more than the products and services provided within the subscription. Those are of exceptionally high quality. But the true value comes from the form of access to the professional thought leadership from Daniel and the network of like-minded and supportive HR professionals. Find out more about the HR in a Circle at www.hrinacircle.co.uk. And now, dress codes. Welcome to Employment Law Matters with Barrister Daniel Barnett. Cardigans have been banned at city law firm Vardax. In a leaked email from last year, the firm's female president emailed all staff to confirm that cardigans and other woolens weren't part of the Savile Row for men or Chanel Dior Armani for women look that she was keen for her staff to adopt. The cardigan ban caught the headlines, but there are more problems with the email than a ban on comfy clothing. The email has a single paragraph dedicated to male employees, also banning woolens along with brown shoes and super tight trousers. Well, you can't really criticise Vardags for that. A decent suit and double cuffs are recommended. Nothing unusual for a London law firm there. Then follows not one paragraph, but eight paragraphs on female grooming. Tailored jackets and formal dresses or suits are in, and women are invited to, quote, look discreetly sexy and colourful and flamboyant at the same time, according to your preference, end quote. The email goes on to stipulate natural-looking hair, which she insists must be brushed and squeaky clean, classic nail colours, silk-only scarfs, and sheer tights. In a paragraph aimed at men and women, she suggests employees work out, not just for health, but so they look great. She tells them to eat well, move a lot, watch what they drink, get outside and glow. This is all aimed at professional adults. Now, there are problems here. The excessive instructions, eight paragraphs versus one paragraph, for female staff feels oppressive. Suggestions to wear sheer tights or any see-through clothing are likely to be discriminatory. Now, these aren't so much suggestions, though, as permission. And it feels as though the dress code's been very carefully crafted to fall right on the cusp of unlawfully discriminatory and not unlawfully discriminatory. But nevertheless, it feels wrong that men can just look Savile Row smart while women are asked to find the sweet spot between tacky or tarty and being drab. Why the difference? And indicating that employees should lose weight is just plain insulting. It infantilises grown adults and has no bearing on how the individuals can do their jobs. It can also tip into discrimination if weight or fitness is linked to a medical condition which satisfies the disability test. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a clear corporate image, of course. Branding is good for marketing your service or product and creating a feeling of unity in the workplace. But employers have to be careful not to stray into murky waters. Employers must guard 
against making anyone's appearance trump their workplace skills. Being smart should be more about business brain than business attire. We all know that case law has established that different isn't the same as less favourable in the context of a discrimination claim, provided the standards set are equivalent overall. See Smith and Safeway PLC 1996 IRLR 456. The test, which is set out in Department of Work and Pensions against Thompson, that's an unreported EAT case, is firstly to establish whether the dress code seeks to apply similar levels of smart dress to both men and women. That's the bit from Smith. But also where sex-specific rules are brought in, such as men must wear ties, women must wear tights, whether the particular rule is the only way of achieving that level of smartness. Don't just think about the first and forget about the second. Back last November in episode 21, I concluded with five tips when it comes to dress codes. I think they're worth repeating. Number one, consider what's genuinely necessary for job requirements and or health and safety. Two, consult employees to get their views and ultimately their approval. Three, don't impose different standards on people without a good non-discriminatory reason. Four, consider whether the policy treats male and female employees equivalently and whether particular requirements are the only way of achieving the requisite level of smartness. And five, consider how any dress codes might impact on employees with a disability or particular religious beliefs. Thank you so much for listening. A super short episode. Do subscribe to Employment Law Matters on the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcasts. And please give us a five-star review. We really like those reviews. I have just launched a new YouTube channel which deals with employment law and all sorts of other legal stuff. You can see it at bit.ly slash YouTube Legal. And I'm uploading two or three videos there every single week, including over the next few months, I'm going to be uploading all the back episodes of these podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Daniel Barnett from Outer Temple Chambers. I'll speak to you again next Tuesday. Bye-bye. Any information on this podcast is for general guidance only. Always seek legal advice. Please see full terms at www.danielbarnett.co.uk forward slash podcast terms.